Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Sales Leadership Awakening Podcast. I'm Colleen Stanley, and joining me today is my partner, Stephen Rosen. Today, we're going to tackle the age-old challenge of bridging the knowing and doing gap in sales leadership. So, Stephen, great to see you again. Looking forward to conversation. What do we have on deck here today? The first thing that we have on deck is my honor to welcome Helen Finucci, who is a wonderful guest. Helen, can you share with our audience a bit about yourself, the industry you're working in, and the types of salespeople you've led, and what you're thinking regarding what's going to make a company successful in sales? Thank you for the opportunity to be on your podcast. I've spent my whole career in high tech, first as an engineer, and then I wanted to be out helping customers use technology for business value. So I transitioned into sales. So I've been leading sales teams in high tech for over 25 years. And large companies like Microsoft and most recently uh, a smaller company called Mediafly. In terms of making companies successful, focus really matters. So what is your objective? Where are the outcomes you're trying to deliver? Of course, it's revenue, but how do you plan to get there? Are you targeting well? Are you talking to the right people? Do you have an intentional strategy about penetrating an account and using your internal resources like your senior leadership team to help you make those connections? Because let's face it, sometimes customers don't want to talk to salespeople but they'll talk to your CFO. You can do a CFO to CFO meeting. So leveraging all of the resources to really bring to bear to get to break through and build those relationships because trust is really the currency of business and in business to business sales, you really can't be effective unless you can build trust with your customers. Boy, that is one I hope everyone, unless you're driving, that you write down trust is the currency here. Helen, by the way, is very modest, so I'm going to introduce this book a couple of times, but she's also the author of a great book, and it's Love Your Sales Team, A Survival Guide for Sales Managers in a Hybrid World. And I'm going to tell you, I'm a huge reader. This is a good book, and I'm, I'm going to address it later in our conversation. But Helen, you've got this big background. As a leader, was there a time that you can remember you had what we like to talk about in this podcast, an awakening moment? I call it my dumb moment where you're sitting there going, this isn't working so well anymore because I suspect that's what led you to write such a good book and lead so many successful teams. So any awakening moments you can share with our audience today? My first really aha moment was shortly after I became a manager and I thought my job was to tell my team what to do. I realized very quickly that no, my job is to tell them to really outline the objectives that I call outcome-based business goals, and then let them figure out how to achieve that objective. What I discovered is they were so much more creative and had better ideas than I would ever come up with, and it really made the team stronger. That was first and foremost. And actually, interestingly enough, there are still people that think that they need to tell people how to do their job. And particularly in a remote workplace, in a remote world, you're not with your team all the time. So unless you're creating outcome-based business goals, and they can be metric-based goals like achieve your quota, 3x pipeline coverage, what have you, but they can equally, and they should be also what I would call soft goals, which are actually sometimes harder to achieve, like behave consistent with our company culture. 
It means respect, being respectful. All voices matter. Whatever the thing is, because typically you will have unspoken objectives or expectations of your team. So the better you can do to clarify that in terms of, look, I expect you to keep your pipeline up to date or your sales force up to date, work collaboratively across the team, whatever it is, the more effective you'll be in leading your team and then they'll know what to expect. A question that might be getting posed out there, maybe we'll put it in the context of young sellers. I love the fact that it's outcome-based because I have to admit this, I was a little bit of a micromanager, a huge teller, all of those good things. That was really working well for me. How do you balance where the person actually knows how to get to the outcome? Or is there some training and coaching in the right measurement there? Yeah, totally. Because not everybody will have the same base of experience, for sure. There will be the need to help people, to help your team members lay out for them how they might approach whatever the objective is or give them some ideas. Let's say, for example, a seller is stuck not being able to get to the economic buyer. Let's lean in, strategize, figure out, okay, do they know somebody on LinkedIn? Do we collectively know someone on LinkedIn that knows that person? Or is our CEO or CFO a big enough name that that person will meet with them? Because often, as I said, sellers aren't the bait in the bucket that business leaders are dying to meet with. It's interesting. I share many same philosophies that share. One of focus being critical. Two, I love your awakening moment where it's not about telling people what to do, but asking. And when I work with managers, that's one of the biggest mindset shifts they have to make is moving from telling to asking. And just along those lines, I always joke when I became a first time sales manager, there was no training, right? But I learned how to be a much better seller watching other people sell than myself when I thought I was a really good seller. So observation is key, but one of the things you touched upon, which I think is critical. And also I shared this in terms of targeting it, and you've shared some really good stories when we've chatted one about how you roll up your sleeves, you get involved in the process of helping improve uh, your team's ability to identify their ideal clients. Can you share some stories on that? And can you share what technologies you're using to help you help your salespeople really target in on the right customers? Yeah, so that's an evolving conversation because the technology has evolved. One of the things I think is crazy is that many companies leave it up to their sellers or SDRs to figure out who they should target. There's nothing more strategic for a company than how it chooses to go to market and who they want as their ideal customer. It's very common for companies to define sales territories. Okay, great. We want to go after, let's say, Johnson & Johnson. And then they leave it up to the sellers to figure out, or they'll define for our product set, you need to talk to sales managers, chief marketing officers, whomever. That may or may not be correct, but that's the common practice. And then leave it to the sellers to research and whatnot, which takes a ton of time. What I think is possible and more effective is to think about who in a company solves the problems or is accountable for solving the problems that your 
product or service solves. So then you go from looking at customer titles to looking at how is a company representing what they care about. They do that through job postings. How are individuals representing what they do? They do that through LinkedIn postings of how they describe themselves. So let's say you're selling in an ROI product and it is to help sellers define the ROI, the value that your technology delivers. So you might use AI and search tools to search LinkedIn to go, who does value selling? Do they have that in their job description? Are they value engineers? Maybe you search on customer business value or business value assessments, but using Boolean logic, if you're doing queries to do the searching, you end up with a richer list of targets because then you are zeroing in on the people who actually are accountable for addressing the challenges that your product solves. Where if you focus on sales manager or director of sales or CRO as a title, you don't actually know what they really care about. There's ways to do that much more effectively now using the tools that we have available. And then the other thing is creating a closed loop process. You have sellers that are out there talking to people in the market, and maybe you take the transcript from the Zoom recordings as an example, whatever tool they're using. And you put that through a chat GPT, generative AI model to find out what's effective and in leading to the outcomes you're looking for. What are their common themes in conversation? And I think, frankly, chat GPT is much more effective in taking lots of data, synthesizing it and drawing conclusions than humans are. That's a way to get feedback on how the market's reacting to the targeting to the conversations. And it might be you have the right targets, but your team is not effective at actually communicating the message. There's a lot of things to unpack. It's messy. It's not like, oh, this is, we got this. Now we're going to go target more effectively. It's a messy business. That's what I would say. Let's say, given a very specific example of where you were, how you can help a company. But let's say they're targeting on CMOs who have a passion for thought leadership. CMOs who are really trying to set their company apart as thought leaders in the industry. If you think about that, what would a CMO care about that's looking for thought leadership? Are they looking for messaging help? Are they looking for a way to get that message out there? Maybe it is content management and maybe tracking the effectiveness of their content and whether or not it's being utilized. For example, Mediafly has an engaged product that does that. You might look at content management or messaging, and then you could also put marketing as a title or category of a function. And then you start querying LinkedIn, for example. There's also companies that sell data and some of them sell data that contains the 40 million LinkedIn profiles. And then you have a, a data scientist or you have someone on your team. If you don't have a data scientist, you need somebody that knows how to navigate large databases and large language models. You would go and you put some keywords 
And I've done this manually on Sales Navigator. So you want to exclude some things like retire, retired. My opinion, but it might be your target. But in my target, I'd exclude executive assistant to the CMO as examples. So then you get a list. Let's say you get a list of 2,000 people on Sales Navigator. Sales Navigator renders 25 people at a time. You'd be putting in your right industry, company size, what have you. Then you probably have a data analytics tool, like maybe you buy Zoom Info data. You'd put in the plugin for Zoom Info and to get the contact information. And maybe you're doing an email campaign. Maybe you're doing a cold calling campaign. Maybe you're doing multiple ways of reaching out. And then you look to see what is effective and who are you reaching. But that is frankly the state of the art in business, Mm -hmm. but it's a really slow way to go. I'm in favor of centralized list building rather than having everybody do their own contact list because then you get so much variability and then you're at the whim of whoever is creating their own list and how well they're doing that. I want to try it just for myself. I do focus on sales leaders and I'll see some of a passion for leadership development. I conceptually understand what you're saying. Thank you. Uh, I've never targeted that way. I look forward to seeing what I can yield. I believe for some of our listeners today that this is one of the things that pops up for me, critical thinking skills. I love when you said this is messy because prospecting always seems to be the biggest pain point in every company. But this is one where everyone's going to have to take a look at, okay, here's the new skill sets or here's the new role. And I don't know which one it is. In my opinion, it's time to get some new roles in because I'm only so good at so many things. I hope everyone listening today don't get overwhelmed by it, but recognize this might be your awakening moment. Roles are changing, roles need to change, and how you go about targeting. I want to shift here a little bit because one of the reasons I enjoyed your book so much is you've got this really good tactical, strategic knowledge, but you didn't forget the human side. That's where Stephen and I play well together. I play more on the soft skills, teaching that. We had talked about building collaborations. Let's say they take all of these great tips you've given for filling the top of the funnel and we've landed the business. But now through the process, we've got to have something called collaboration, team selling. So collaboration always sounds lovely. But let's face it, a lot of salespeople, they're really good, but they can be lone rangers. When it comes time to hitting their quota, they aren't good team players. They might be great team players in every other part of their life, right? They play softball or something. What did you do specifically to increase that collaboration with your customers and your internal teams? Because sometimes I think we treat our customers nicer than our internal teams. Yeah, it does. So there's certain standards you've got to have with your team. I think selling is a team sport. (laughs) Now, having said that, often team members are a team only in name not in practice. Let me unpack that for a minute. They may have separate territories. Your sellers may have separate territories typically, but they've got to work with others across the company. Maybe it's sales engineers or product managers or folks that have the expertise to do more sophisticated demos, or it's for sure probably customer success if you're in a SaaS business, because there's that handover between 
hey, the customer wants these business issues solved through using our technology. How are we communicating that so customer success knows what the customer's priorities are? Often that handoff is messy and ineffective. The other thing is in B2B selling, buyers are betting their career when they make a decision to purchase something. So they've got to trust not only the seller, but the company that stands behind the seller. It's really critical. If you and I, as a consumer, as we go out and we buy a car, and let's say it's a lemon, it's going to be a pain in the neck. We're going to be upset. But our careers are going to be intact. It's much more costly for an individual to make a bad strategic decision from a career point of view. That has ramifications that are huge. And so there's a lot of caution, particularly in large organizations, where you want to make sure everyone's bought in across the buying team. You have like nine stakeholders between compliance, privacy, CIO, security, what have you, the business side of things. You can't effectively build that trust as an individual seller You've got to mobilize the executives in your company and others to be able to instill that confidence. The CEO, he or she speaks for the company and will stand behind it and has to make decisions. A manager needs to lay out very clearly that there is an expectation of you. You mobilize the resources within the company as a selling, the leader of the sales team. You work well across the company, you collaborate. You are effective. You're somebody that others want to work with. There's clear communication skills. And if you have a seller that refuses to do those things, in my opinion, you have no choice but to put them on a performance improvement plan, even if they're making their number. I know that may sound shocking if they're making their number. Well, we need them. However, you don't realize the opportunity cost of having that seller be there. And I've literally had the situation where other sellers want to be removed from working with a star seller who is a nightmare to work with. We've all seen that even managers who have trouble working with internal departments, one of the keys to success is getting everybody on board to support your sales team, as opposed to fighting them. Part of one of the concepts that we put forth is bold leadership. And part of that is getting your internal departments to support you because they can be either a supporter or they can be what I call SPD, which is the sales prevention department. If you're not friend, if you're not breaking bread with these people and they're not supporting you, you can do a great job with the customer, but you're not going to get over the finish line. I hope everyone heard and wasn't shocked by what you said, Helen, that even if they're hitting their numbers it's okay to put on a pit. There's two things I'm taking away from your comments there. Number one, you are walking the talk on corporate values. I think there's nothing that diminishes trust quicker than this nice uh, poster on the wall with your values, but it never hits the hall. So that takes some bold leadership and courage there. The other thing that strikes me is that with this lack of collaboration, is it that they don't know how to utilize the resources or does instant gratification get in the way and they just want to shortcut the process? Any thoughts there? I think we've gotten accustomed to using Slack or other channels and email. 
as a leader, as a manager, if you see emails going back and forth where there's not really communication, they're talking at each other, yes. take a time out and put a meeting on the calendar to have a conversation about whatever that conflict is. I think there is this notion that if you write it in email or Slack it, that you're communicating. Email does not equal communication. There's no substitute for a conversation. And it's a leader's job to make sure that your team is communicating effectively. Take a time out and hold a meeting, hold a call with the right parties, the other managers, and talk it through. If you don't hold up your culture and hold the team to that standard that you have a culture that's not enforced, there's no coach culture. That's very true. Along those lines, Helen, it comes back to a favorite word in sales and sales leadership, which is accountability. One sales manager is holding themselves accountable, uh, whether it's the beliefs of the company, whether it's the expectations that you set. Maybe you can share some examples because we've had this conversation and everyone has a challenge holding their people accountable. And you've had some great insights today, so maybe you can build upon those great insights and share. I know you love your people. How do you have some tough love if you have to hold them accountable? Maybe you can share some examples of what you've done. Holding people accountable is love. You're not doing any favors. You're not. Here's a litmus test I use for myself. If it's not working for me, it's not working for them. If I have this inkling that something's not right, I dig in. And in 100% of the cases, it's worse than I expected. So you could go, how come you didn't intervene sooner? Well, because people are professionals. Most people, most of the sellers I work with are experienced. I lay out the expectations and then I ask someone, do they need help? How can I be supportive? What do you need from me? Then I see how things go and I want to meet with them, with their customers. I want to see how they conduct a meeting. I want to see how they're moving deals forward, how they're forecasting. I track and note their forecasts at the beginning of a quarter because forecast accuracy from the beginning to the end of the quarter matters to me. And so see what their history is over time. I will sometimes look at their calendar to see how busy they are with, as represented by meetings on their calendar. And then do they have the pipeline coverage? There's a lot of early warning indicators of whether or not they're going to make their number. There's the checkpointing with other managers to find out how is my team? Do you have any feedback on my team? Because talking to my colleagues leading your team members that are participating in the sales cycle and is everyone aligned and being clear. Clarity is kindness. Being clear matters. We're all driving towards the same outcomes and goals, or we should be. This isn't a hobby. This is business and driving stock price valuation, revenue, pick your favorite, what's in it for. Find out, frankly, find out what's in it for your team member. What do they care about? I jump right to this, but find out what their why is. What are their goals and how can you support their goals and then tie their lack of performance to the lack of being able to achieve that what they said they care about in the first place. Well put. Well put. I think what's helped you have some of these tough love, and I love that um, accountability and tough love is love. 
is because you brought in this human side and I enjoyed so many things about the book. On chapter three, you did a whole chapter on introducing yourself to the team. And I think I've always been very personable, likable. I'm pretty good at managing boundaries and stuff. I have never done that. Can you talk a little bit? How do you do it? And why was that important, introducing yourself to the team? I know for you, big point was the human-to-human interaction, but I think that's what helps you keep people accountable. People trust your intent when you are having the tough love conversations. Maybe walk through some of the, the concepts that you share in introducing yourself to your team. I had a new executive come on board and the first all hands where he was being introduced to the organization. I realized this was before I had started writing the book and I had thought about writing a book. So he was introduced to the team and he was mistaken. He thought this was all about him and how great he is and his experience. He completely missed what I think is the point of being introduced to your new team is to let your team members know what you care about so they know how to interact with you what they can expect from you, what you value, what are your leadership values? How do you think about leading an organization? Let people know a little bit about yourself. I tell people that I have two grown children. I got married in 2022 after being divorced for 24 years. And I live in Seattle and my husband and I during COVID bought another house in Arizona. I just tell him my favorite food is anything somebody else cooks. I realized that there's this lack of awareness sometimes on the receiving end of sales leaders that they're not focused on their team members and how they can support their team. They're all about themselves. When I joined Mediafly as a CRO and I did all hands and introduced myself to the team, one of the things I said to them is, you have my book. Hold me accountable to what I say in my book. I said to them, if you want me to send you a copy of my book, I'm happy to send you a signed copy. That was the first time I had introduced myself to a new team after I had written the book. That was fun and interesting. But seriously, it is all about the team and many managers forget that. Then the next part that how to introduce yourself to the team is in the category of conversations of connection. The middle part of my book is the 17 core conversations leaders need to master with their team. Because I realized what I did as a sales leader, I use myself as my own guinea pig. I have conversations with my team. That's about all I do. What are those core conversations? And I broke it into different categories. The second conversation of connection is your first one-on-one with a direct report. How do you do that? How does your team manager do that versus a traditional sales manager? And what's the purpose of it? And how do you conduct it? And the expected outcomes and how to assess if it's effective or not. I laid it out to be actionable, to be literally a handbook or a guidebook. They go, I'm putting a team member on one of my sellers on a performance plan. What do I do there? Because my second category or conversation is performance management, conversations of performance. And it starts with setting up good expectations up front. Helen, you've been an amazing guest and there's a lot to unpack here. Make sure you link in with her on LinkedIn. I was going to say, this is something Colleen talks about a lot because you shared a lot of hows. Because we're all very good at describing the what's, but really people get stuck on how do we do things? So it sounds like your book 
answers those questions of how do we have those conversations. Colleen, let me ask you, what was your biggest insight today or takeaway that you want to share with our listeners? One you probably saw me grab because I do think it's a theme, whether it's accountability, holding people accountable to collaboration, is that tough love is love. I know there's been times and I've been blessed with really good mentors. I have to tell you, I'm grateful for that every day. But I can tell you some of those mentors, not only were they good teachers and coaches, but I will tell you, there was a few times we had the come to you know what talk. And I didn't like it initially, but I've got pretty good accountability, even back in the day, I would say, as a younger professional. And those conversations made a huge difference for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I think that's why I grabbed onto that. So I would say that's one of my bigger takeaways. With all, I love all the tactical too, by the way, but that one hit my heart. I was getting nervous that you were going to pick the one that I picked. It's very interesting because very early you talked about trust and building trust. To me, that's almost the foundation for doing business with clients, for supporting your team. Because if you fail to build trust as a new manager, it actually means failure. You're not going to succeed if you don't establish that foundational piece, which is trust. I think Colleen summed it up as trust is currency. I can't say enough about when we do business with people, when we lead people, how important trust is. To me, that was my big takeaway. Just to wrap up another great episode. And thank you, Helen. How do people get a hold of you besides LinkedIn? LinkedIn is the best place to reach me. I just launched a new consulting business that's focused on helping companies target more effectively and then do the closed loop analysis. I'm just getting that up and running. So LinkedIn's the best way to reach me right now. It sounds like you've got some really good ways and a great book. Listeners, we want you to become part of our audience. If you like today's session, we talked about a lot of really interesting areas. Make sure that you sign up so you can get every weekly update that we put out. And thank you again for listening. Helen, it's been a pleasure. We wish you the best of luck in your new business. Thank you for sharing so honestly with our audience. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.